0: Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. john chapter
1: four beginning in verse four today we conclude our series spirit and truth he had to go through samaria on the way eventually he came to the samaritan village of sychar near the field that jacob gave to his son joseph jacob's well was there and jesus tired from the long walk sat wearily beside the well about noontime Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time, because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Skip down to verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It, comes of, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the one you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, sir, the woman said. You must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here in Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, and indeed is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Pray with me one more time. Father, we love you and we're thankful for your word. Today we approach it with humble expectation, believing that it can change our life. We refuse to go through the motions of another Sunday service, but Lord today, we lean in expecting and believing you to do great and mighty things in our life. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. May we be forever hidden behind the message of the cross. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to give you a little context into what's happening here in John chapter four. First of all, quick history lesson Israel was initially one kingdom that spanned all the way from the southern regions of Judah, north into the regions of Nazareth. And Galilee. But throughout Israel's tumultuous history, they had some good kings and some bad kings. And unfortunately, some were idolaters, and they strayed away from the truth, and thus the kingdom became divided. The northern portion was called Samaria, and the southern portion called Judah. This was more than just a geographical distinction, more than just a geographical boundary. This actually severed the people one against another. In fact, there was such tension between Jews and Samaritans that they would not speak to one another. Jews looked down their nose at Samaritans and would often avoid the region of Samaria altogether. In fact, many Jews, notably, if they needed to cross through Samaria, they so despised the Samaritans that they would literally cross the Jordan River, go over and beyond, adding many, many hours and miles to their journey just to avoid setting foot in Samaria as they believed that it would defile them. All right? And technically, as we look at this account in John 4, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. He could have crossed the Jordan River and done the other thing that the religious pious and elite did. But I don't know about you this morning, but I'm grateful that Jesus does not avoid sinners. He didn't run the other way. In fact, he drew near to the downtrodden, the outcast, and the overlooked. He was a friend of sinners. Anybody thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners today? We should all be grateful. Also, one other point of context worthy of noting is that historians have pointed out that women would not frequent the well at noonday. They would either come early in the morning when it was cooler or later in the evening, but there was quite possibly a reason that this woman came at the noonday, and that's because she had a promiscuous reputation. There was a lot of gossip around her causing her to avoid the early morning crowds at the well. She was a woman who was an outcast in every meaning of the word. Today, we're just going to go through this text now that we have that premise. And the first thing that I want to show you out of verse 13 is we are all thirsty. Look at your neighbor with some attitude and tell them you're thirsty. When we read this account of the woman at the well, we often try to put ourselves in the position of maybe a disciple or an innocent stander by. But when you read scripture, more often than not, you and I are the sinner in distress. This morning, as we look at this story, you and I are the adulterous woman at the well. Her life is a depiction of our spiritual condition. This woman was thirsty physically and spiritually. Scripture tells us that she had gone from lover to lover to lover and was never satisfied. And many believe that even as she arrived at Jacob's well that day, she was still searching for another relationship, somebody else that could attempt to quench her thirsty soul. The reality is, every one of us has a thirst inside of our soul where we are searching for satisfaction, searching for fulfillment. The truth is, we are all thirsty living in a dry and parched world. No amount of alcohol can ever quench the thirst of your soul. No amount of drugs or prescription abuse can satisfy you. Nothing in this world can ever quench the longing that lies at the core of the human heart, no amount of money, no new relationship, nothing in this world could ever satisfy the void that is within us all. We have a deep longing for more, for purpose and for satisfaction. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20 says this, Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. No matter how much money you acquire, no matter how high you climb on the corporate ladder, it will never be enough to make the human heart content. We're never satisfied. Have you ever thought in your life, if I just got this promotion, then I'd be satisfied. If I just made six figures, or if I had another comma in my bank account, I'd be content. And the truth is, when you arrive at the goals that you long for, you very quickly realize that it's still empty and it's not enough. Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, writing Ecclesiastes chapter two, he said, let's give pleasure a try let's look for meaning in the things of the world. Let's look for satisfaction in the life of the material world. And as he accumulated everything, great homes, vineyards, servants, everything that a man could desire, he said, as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. It was all empty. It was all like chasing the wind. In other words, there is nothing in this world there will ever be enough to satisfy the human heart. There is a void inside of every one of us. I wanna direct your attention to Genesis chapter one, verse one, listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. In verse three says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The story of creation parallels the story of you and me. When we were born, we were born in the darkness. Our hearts were empty and void. Just like creation, so our hearts, we were born into the darkness. We're all born sinners. People get agitated when I say this, but it's true, and you don't have to teach a child to be bad, you have to teach a child to be good because being bad comes natural. All the parents in the house said amen. And if you still don't believe it, you can sign up to serve Envision Kids and you will find out real quick, they're born sinners. <laughs> Scripture says that from the sin of Adam, a sinful nature has reigned and permeated throughout human history. We're born in the darkness and there is an emptiness and a void inside of us all. This is the spiritual depiction of what the woman at the well was suffering with. She was looking for love, looking for purpose, looking for fulfillment. She was looking for the right things in the wrong places, only to find out that she was coming up to dead end after dead end, empty after, she, listen, alcohol won't do it, drugs won't do it, sex won't do it, it will all leave you emptier. We can all attest to this. The truth is the void in your heart is so great that only God himself can satisfy it. Only Jesus. That's why he says to the woman at the well, if you only knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink and the water that I would provide would sustain you for a lifetime. My fountain, my drink never runs out. It satisfies the human heart. The reality is, Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy the human heart. The creator himself is the only one that will ever suffice and bring us into true contentment in this world. He's the only one. Anybody believe today that Jesus is our source? He is the one that satisfies our soul. Anybody believe it today? The truth is we're all searching for God and eternal life every atheist agnostic and unbeliever alike we are all on a pursuit for more and the truth is every one of us is searching for God though we may not admit it we all long to be reunited with our creator every one of us is searching for purpose satisfaction that only comes from him This woman was looking for love, but I want to remind you that God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. God truly is the answer for the craving of the human soul. When Jesus offered this woman living water, he was saying that I alone can save and I alone can satisfy. A lot of times we've heard John 4 preached and preachers will say, well, this is about the Holy Spirit bubbling up inside of us. And while there may be some truth and application there, I wanna draw your attention to the most pure conclusion. Jesus is not talking necessarily about the Holy Spirit. He's saying... I will bring to you salvation. I am the one you've been looking for. You've been spending your life looking for the right things in the wrong places, but now I bring to you eternal life. The Bible is not so much concerned about your happiness, your joy, and your peace. The Bible's concerned about your salvation and you experiencing a living water eternally. Matthew chapter five, verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The next thing I want to show you is in verse 22, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, you don't know what you worship. Look at your neighbor and tell him with some attitude. You don't know. Little bit rude of Jesus, if we're being honest, right? He shows up in her village, at her well, and he's like, you don't even know what you worship. She's like, (laughs) The truth is, we were all created to worship. Every one of us. Every human being on planet Earth was created with a purpose, and that is to worship. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21 says, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare My praise, modern English, God created you so that you would praise him and worship him and bless his name. We were made for worship. And the truth is, every person on earth worships something. It's getting quiet today, but I'm I'm preaching the truth to you. Some of us worship artists, musicians, You guys fangirl over their concerts and when you're there, you're like raising your hands, ugly crying, Uh, but then you think we're weird when we raise our hands to the creator of heaven and earth. We're not weird, you're weird. And you don't think you worship, but you worship. You're like, oh, Justin Bieber looked at me. No, he didn't. (laughs) Whether it's a musician, whether it's a politician, whether it's an athlete, It is ingrained in the human nature to worship. That's who we are. That's what we were made to do. And the truth is everyone in this room, you worship something. It is either God or it is money. It is yourself. It is that girl, that guy, everybody worships something. And again, I feel you, I know nobody today in America thinks they're an idolater or they worship things, but I want to let you know anything that has your attention, anything that captivates you, anything that you are fixated on, anything you love or think about or dwell on more than God has become an idol and anything can become an idol. You loving the Panthers can be an idol. It's always next year's our year, all right? But it's probably not. <laughs> and it's amazing how, hey, I'm rooting for the Panthers, so I'm, I'm in there, all right? It's pain speaking. Anyway, you can quote every stat, how many rushing yards, how many receptions, where they got drafted, their star rating as a co- coming out of college, but you don't even know the word. I know I'm preaching to somebody else. This is the sermons for you You're thinking right now, I got to text this sermon to somebody. And I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. See, we were made to worship. And you are worshiping something. I wonder, is it God? That's what he says to the woman at the well. He says, you're worshiping, but you don't even know what you're worshiping. There's worship taking place, but you're not even aware of it. The other facet of this meaning, you don't know what you worship, is he's saying to her, what a tragedy it would be to worship the living God and never know him. Oh, I'm preaching to you. He's saying to her, what a tragedy it would be for you to worship God Almighty but never know him. And there is a distinct difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. A very distinct difference the truth is the reason he brings this up to her and the reason this is so convicting as she hears it is because the samaritans they only believed in the first five books of the old testament they only believed in the torah from moses everything else they rejected so the samaritans picked and chose the parts of the Bible that they agreed with. They picked and chose the parts of scripture that they liked. And from that, they formed their own ideology, their own worldview, and they worshiped God. Yes, they did, but they didn't know him because they had rejected the scripture Church, I pray you hear what I'm saying to you right now because this very thing is happening in America right now. It's happening in Charlotte right now. There are churches that yes, they worship God, but they don't know him because they have rejected his word. They've taken these books, these verses that they agree with and they've discarded and rejected the parts of scripture that are confrontational, that they don't like, that don't set well with them. But with all due respect, I want you to know you and I are not God. We didn't write the book. We don't get to pick and choose which parts we like and agree with. He's either the Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. It's happening all across the world. Right now, even churches are falling into the same sin and idolatry that the Samaritans were in, where they took a little bit of scripture and they rejected the rest. There is a great divide happening in our nation right now. Open your eyes and look around. There are churches right now in this city that say, we accept this part of the Bible, we disagree with all of this. We wanna be affirming. We wanna, we don't wanna call sin, say we don't wanna offend anybody. Well, let me help you. The gospel and the Bible, it is offensive. The truth is not always what we wanna hear. But it's the only thing that has the power to set us free. Be careful of choosing, I believe this, I don't believe that. I'm going to take, you know, this. And what they're doing is they're creating their own idol. Yes, they're worshiping God, but they don't know him. Because his word reveals him. The reason that we're always preaching from the Bible, encouraging you to read the Bible is because that's how you see God. That's how you understand who he is. Apart from this, it's up to your opinion and your perspective. And we all know that our perspective and opinion is dangerous. We have to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap as the Samaritans where we worship God, but we don't know him. We know God through his word. We submit to God. We don't pick and choose what we like and agree with and disagree with. And by the way, if there's ever a part of the Bible you disagree with, guess what? You're wrong. <laughs> You're welcome. Somebody's like, I'm never coming back to this church. Well, I love you anyway. The next thing I want to show you, oh, oh, one, one more thing before I move off this. You know, From the beginning of time, man has always wanted a God in his image. That's why all these nations around the world were idolaters. That's why they formed graven images out of stone and wood and precious metal, because they've always wanted a God that agrees with them, a God who thinks like them, a God just like them. I wanna caution you. If your God always agrees with you, you are your own God. Listen, I'm a pastor. I've been pastor in this church for 10 years. There's times I read that Bible and it cuts me. It convicts me. I'm like, whoa, I don't like that. It's to change me, to transform me more and more into his image and likeness. If, you, if your version of God always agrees with you, thinks like you, you're probably your own God. Be careful. He wants to, in America today, we don't want to follow anybody. We don't want to submit to anybody. We want God to follow us. And we want God to adapt his word to our 21st century perspective because we're so enlightened. May God have mercy. All right, moving on. Verse 19. Jesus, this is Larry's. Jesus calls this woman out. He's like, okay, where's your husband? She's like, uh, I don't have one. Jesus is like, you're right, because you, you had five, and the one you're with now, you ain't married to him either. And y'all think my sermons are tough. <laughs> watch, I love the woman at the well, watch her. She changes the subject real quick. She, she, she doesn't admit it, she just changes the subject. She's like, oh boy, okay. So since you're a prophet, okay, so should we worship here in Samaria or should we worship in Jerusalem? She thinks she's slick, she thinks she's fast. Did you see it? It's right there in the Bible. She tries to change the subject. And Jesus, in his loving kindness, he goes ahead and answers her question. And what she's asking here, she's saying... The Samaritans, we worship over here in Samaria on this mountain, but the Jews insist that the true place of worship is Jerusalem, which is it. And Jesus responds to her, the the truth is the hour has come and it is now where the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. It does not matter about your geography, where you are. What matters is that your spirit is in tune with him. What she's really asking is, where is God? Where do I find him? And the answer that he gave her is the answer that's still true today. God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He's just as much in your driveway as he is right here at the altar in this building right now. God Almighty is a spirit. He can be worshiped in spirit and in truth, meaning wherever you are, he is. He can be found anywhere. In fact, what Jesus was actually showing her is that it's no longer about a physical temple. Now, to as many as received him, to them they've been given the power to be the sons of God. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. His presence lives inside of you. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in every born-again Christian. Amen. It's a powerful church. It truly is. The next thing I want to show you, and I believe this is absolutely critical, and I pray that you lean in because if you miss this, you're really going to miss the meaning of of John 4. Jesus says to this woman, The hour has come that now those who worship, the true worshipers, they will worship in spirit and in truth. Look at your neighbor, say, In spirit and truth. Both are required for an act of true worship. And by the way, we've heard this preached many times. John four, we've heard it preached many times. But if you really wanna unlock it and understand it, you have to look at it through the context of the Samaritans and the Jews. That's how this whole thing unlocks. And what Jesus says to her is so profound that it convicts both groups of people Simultaneously, he says, those who are the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. What he was actually saying is that the Jews, yes, they worship in truth. Yes, they worship the true God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. They worship in truth, but they do not worship in spirit. We're gonna come back to this in a minute. And he's saying that the Samaritans, they worship in spirit, in their feelings, their emotion, their heart. But their truth is fundamentally wrong and off-put because they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. They ignored the rest. So they worship, yes, with passion, yes, with fervency, yes, with sincerity, but not in truth. And I pray that this morning, every one of us examines our own heart and life And we examine, do I really worship God in spirit and in truth? Let's look a little closer. The Jews worshiped in truth. They did not worship in spirit. And here's what we mean by this. The Jews were famous for worshiping through things external. They demonstrated their worship by their obedience to the law and the commandments, the things that they would eat, the things that they would abstain from, the holidays that they would celebrate, But the problem is, although these external acts of worship were beautiful, their heart and their spirit was not connected to what they were doing. In other words, they were just going through the motions of a religious tradition, but their heart was far from God. It is possible for you to walk up into this church every Sunday Read the lyrics off the screen and it just be lip service while your heart and your spirit are completely somewhere else disconnected from God. And it becomes disingenuous and just monotonous routines of men. I want to challenge you this morning that as we worship him, may it truly be not only in truth, but in our spirit behind it. May our acts of worship be motivated by love. May our heart be connected to our words. May we say what we mean and mean what we say. Does this make any sense? It's so easy, church, just mindlessly check the box and you're going through the routine. That's what the Jews did. They worshiped in truth, but not in spirit. Now, going back to the Samaritans, they're over here sincere. They're passionate. Their heart is in this. They're caught up in their feelings, their emotions. But their doctrine is off base. Their theology is crazy because they've been picking and choosing what scripture they're going to adhere to. May we not worship based on our feelings and our emotions. I've heard people say all the time, oh wow, you know, that worship experience that was so powerful. You know, I got goosebumps, I got chills, like there was a wind that blew. You know what I mean? Like we get it. But listen, I want you to hear me. There's nothing wrong with sensing and experiencing God's presence, but I want to challenge you that experiential worship, that is so surface level. Let me ask you a question. What requires greater faith? For you to worship God when you have the feels and the goosebumps or for you to worship him when you feel nothing? When you feel like God's a million miles away, can you still press in? Can you still bring him glory? Can you still put your mind on him? Because that is true worship, and be careful that you don't just worship based on your feelings and emotions because your feelings and emotions can lead you astray. And there are people that just chase emotional high after emotional high, but there's no doctrinal substance, there's no truth on the foundation of what they're doing and feeling. Does this make sense to anybody? May we be a church that we worship in spirit and in truth. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse one, the apostle Paul tells us exactly what this looks like. How do we worship in spirit and in truth? Here it is, Romans 12, one. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Church, that is incredible right there. He literally tells you right there in Romans what it looks like to worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is so much more than music. This is just an expression of worship. Our worship does not start and stop with the band for 25 minutes on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a perspective. It's a posture of the heart. And before worship was Hillsong, Maverick City, and Chris Tomlin, worship was sacrifice. Worship is first mentioned as Abraham offers Isaac on the hills of Moriah, Worship is sacrifice. Romans 12, may we be a living sacrifice before God. Acceptable and pleasing to him, and that is true worship. In other words, when I'm in here praising God, more than just reading the screen, the lyrics, may the posture of your heart be, here in my Lord, send me. Here in my Lord, use me. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do, Lord, here am I. Speak through me. Today, after church, may I encourage somebody, may I love somebody, challenge somebody, share the light of the gospel with people that are in need. May our life be a living sacrifice because there we see worship come alive in both spirit and in truth. The problem with the Jews and the Pharisees is they were all about the truth. They said all the right things, but there was no sacrifice present in their life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. May we decrease that he increases in our life. This is a true depiction of worship. One more thing while I'm here. Worship Music, raising hands, singing praises, all of this, these are expressions of worship. In and of themselves, that's not worship. Anybody can sing, anybody can shout, anybody can dance, whatever. It's, it's an expression of worship. And by the way, don't judge other people's expression and look down on them because they raise one hand and you raise two. Don't look down on people because you wave the flag the sh- and blow the shofar and somebody else just standing in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be careful that you don't get caught up in judging others or yourself based on the expression because the Jews were real good at expressing, but there was no sacrifice inside of them, meaning it was all truth, no spirit. Worship is a way of living. Is this helping anybody today? Making any sense to anybody today? Half a golf clap in the back. Okay. Hope. I'll preach to myself today. That's all right. In closing, that deserved at least one amen. In closing, I want to remind you of the very beginning of John 4. Jesus arrives at Jacob's well. He finds a woman there seated at noonday, and he asks her for a drink. Look at your neighbor and tell him, Jesus took her cup. It's imperative that we see this as it was because you have to remember that noonday, that Samaritan woman was an adulterer five times over. And the man that she was with now was not her husband. Do you know what the Bible in the Old Testament, do you know what it called for? for a woman caught in adultery. It's found in Numbers chapter 5 and for the sake of time I'm going to paraphrase. In the Old Testament during even the day of Christ if a woman were to even be accused of adultery she would be brought into the temple to the very front to the high priest. The high priest would then kneel down and pick up a handful of dust, filthy dust from the tabernacle floor. And he would sprinkle it into a cup of holy water. All of this is described in Numbers 5. And the high priest publicly, openly, would force this bitter cup of condemnation to her lips. If she were guilty, this bitter cup of the curse would make her infertile and curse her for the rest of her life. If she were innocent, they prayed that the suffering would simply pass. That day at Jacob's well, Jesus knew that woman was an adulterer five times over. And by the letter of the law, he being our spiritual and eternal high priest had every right to come to her and force the bitter cup to her mouth the cup of condemnation and judgment. But instead, look again at what Christ said to her. He said, give me your drink. Give me a drink. Let me have your cup. In other words, he was foreshadowing symbolically, saying to her, I know who you are. I know what you deserve. But instead of condemning you, I want your cup. Give me your curse. Give me your shame and I will take it upon myself. Give me your cup. Do you remember that on Calvary's cross, as Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, one of his last statements, he cried out, I thirst, I thirst. And the Roman soldiers lifted up the bitter drink to his mouth. And as Jesus consumed the bitter cup the bitter drink on the cross he literally said it is finished and gave up his spirit this my friends is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth is Like this woman, we are all adulterous. We are all adulterers. We have all forsaken God and pursued other lovers in this life. We've all been thirsty and searched for the right things in the wrong places. You might say, well, I've never committed adultery. I've never done anything egregious like that. Well, Jesus said, if you even thought it in your heart, you are guilty and condemned. The truth is, sin is more than just the actions that you have made in the Bible. It is the state of heart and the state of your mind. And Romans says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The truth is we all deserve the cup of suffering, the cup of the curse. We all deserve to stand before God condemned. But thanks be to God when we were lost in our sin and dead in our trespasses, he was rich in mercy towards us. And his son took our punishment. The cup of God's wrath poured out on him. And he who knew no sin became sin that you and I might be called the righteousness of God in him. Come on somebody and give the Lord praise if you're thankful that he took your penalty. You and I deserve hell. We deserve judgment. We deserve the wrath of God. Romans says none of us are good. None of us are truly seeking after God. All of us have left God's path for our own, but God was rich in mercy towards you. I pray this morning that you would give that, your past, you would give that condemnation, your mistake, your sin, give it to Jesus. Don't carry it any longer the guilt, the shame, the give it to Jesus. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and we repent of our sin. We acknowledge that our life has been full of lust, pride, greed, and selfish ambition. We have loved the things created more than the creator himself. And today we repent God before you. Have mercy. We believe that 2,000 years ago, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life. He caused the blind eyes to open, the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk. We believe that on Calvary's cross, he took our cup of suffering. He took the wrath of God meant for us. He paid our penalty in full. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. His tomb is empty. Change my heart, oh God, and may my life be a living sacrifice, an offering poured out to you from this day forward. May my life never be the same again. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And
0: everybody said, Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially, It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.